This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to a special West Coast edition of Mad Money, coming to you from one market in San Francisco. Welcome to Kramer America. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to help you make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Sometimes I want to ask, this chat GPT. Is this stock market ridiculous or what? Now, I know it'll tell me that it doesn't have anything current on the stock market or it might want to agree with me because the chat GPT I know is a bit of a yes man. But I'm seeing some action here that tells me people are selling where there's no need to sell. They're acting out of a level of fear that might not be warranted given the lack of clear negatives, including a day like today where the Dow slipped 18 points, S&P declined 0.57%, but the Nasdaq, Nasdaq tumbled 1.04%. <laughs> by irrational selling. Let me give you an incredible example. Today, the stock of a very good enterprise software company, Oracle, got smashed to smithereens, losing 13.5% of its value, or $46 billion, because of an earnings report we got last night that, frankly, wasn't all that bad. In fact, I'll hesitate to say it was actually pretty good, or at least part of the business that I care about, which is doing fabulously. So how does this financial miscarriage of justice occur? First, let's set things up. Oracle's a $300 billion company, at least at the time of last I logged. It was up 50% coming into the print, or the publication of its earnings, as we call it. It's been strong because of the tandem of an amazing CEO, Sofra Katz, and the brilliant chairman and founder, Larry Ellison, who has turned this decent, slow-growing company into a company that's embraced the cloud and artificial intelligence like few tech companies of its generation. Ellison, easily one of the smartest people in tech, by the claim of pretty nearly everyone you meet out here, is active at the company, more active than he's been in years. Why? Because he's so enthralled with the Oracle's position in, yes, you guessed it, Generative artificial intelligence. Bye, bye, bye! So you figure if the stock's gonna lose 17 bucks a single session, it must have been a nightmare, right? I mean, the quarter must have been horrible. Actually, it wasn't. It was far from perfect. Eh, it was actually better than that. Was it forecast terrific? Well, you know what? Let's pull it apart. 
Actually, for the parts of Oracle's business I passionately care about, it was pretty darn good. Like it was artificial intelligence uh, division was fantastic. It, they can't grow it fast enough as they like because they simply can't build new data centers fast enough. As CEO Katz said on the conference call, quote, our biggest challenge is building data centers as quickly as possible, end quote. Seems like a high quality problem. She went on to say, quote, the level of demand we have is stunning. Stunning is the only word I can use, end quote. Now, based on these quotes, you might think Oracle stock deserve to go higher. Maybe much higher. Wrong. The stock's collapse was so pronounced and the company's profile is so closely connected to all the things I came out here in San Francisco to check out, everything remotely related to the AI space, they all plummeted. I mean, everything. Microsoft, Adobe, Amazon, NVIDIA, Salesforce, the latter of which we'll have on the show later on at its 21st Dreamforce extravaganza, which is calling itself the world's largest artificial intelligence festival. How is this possible? Now, we know that Oracle crashed into this world of cloud infrastructure, gunning for Amazon Web Services, Microsoft, Azure, uh, Alphabet's Google Cloud business. Okay, they were late, but they came in. But if their stock got down, should all the others been washed out, too? That's certainly what people did today. But I think that's just plain old fear talking. I prefer to take the other side of the trade. I want to buy a ton of Oracle stock, but I wasn't allowed to. We have a small position for the trust. After looking at the situation, I think the reportage on the story is ridiculous. Totally detached from reality. Trust is restricted. Mentioned to members of the investing club that we would be buyers if we were allowed to. Look, let me tell you what really went wrong here. Oracle spent $28 billion acquiring a digital healthcare information company. It's called Cerner, and it did it December of 2021. I didn't like the company. Unlike the cloud business, which is fantastic, unlike the artificial intelligence for it, which is extraordinary, Cerner did not report a good number. Okay, there were excuses made. Some of them were even good ones, including an accounting change that made earnings look weaker than they were. But the fact is, Oracle hadn't made that Cerner acquisition. I am confident this stock would have been flat or even up today. Did you hear that from anyone else? But it did... Did it buy Cerner, and yet uh, it caused the problem? Did anyone else mention that except for me? No. Instead, all I heard the whole day was the artificial intelligence cohorts being called into question, as well as the cloud infrastructure space because of Oracle. To put it another way, I came out here to San Francisco to see if the AI reality was living up to the hype, only to find out, at least today, that the hype didn't live up to the reality. So what do you do? Do you tear your hair out and lament the market's stupidity? Do you wring your hands and say, I've had it with all these stocks? No, I think you'd be clinical. Oracle paid $28 billion for Cerner. For the sins of that transaction, it lost nearly $50 billion in market cap. Even if Cerner somehow worth less than nothing, it's now baked in. I recommend buying the stock tomorrow. Buy it before it restarts its mammoth buyback. Buy it before I expect both insider buying from the CEO and perhaps even the chairman. Sometimes when the market gets your stock totally wrong, it's worth making a real statement, and you go in and you buy stock insider buying. What else may it could use a statement that shows you the reality of the situation? Let's talk Apple. Start again with the premise that you want to ask ChatGPT a question that it can answer. Something like, how is the stock of Apple done after the introduction of a new phone, as Apple did today with the launch of the iPhone 15, which will be available one day before my sister's birthday on September 22nd? The answer, stock's always done lousy. Almost always goes down on the news. Okay, with that tremendous bit of artificial insight, what what happened today? Well, the stock went down. Now we're getting somewhere. Next, maybe ask ChatGPT how Apple stock is done when it's created new products that you didn't know you couldn't live without. I'm talking about a product like a revolutionary camera that reads an entire moment rather than one thing. This is like the equivalent of having seven professional cameras in your pocket. You'll be able to have many abilities to edit and readjust photos after they've already been taken. Goodbye wasted blurry photos. 
Or how about a move to a standardized charging cable? The iPhone will finally use USB-C rather than Lightning. Same cable that you use to charge everything else. Believe me, that eliminates a huge source of frustration. Then there's the battery. Now it's going to last the whole day. How about a watch where it allows you to find your phone with the precision of one foot? I'd pay for that without even having to know what time it is. And a double tap gesture that we've never done that I think we'll all be doing within two years. Now, like the Oracle Maltese Falcon that was Cerner, the real story here that can't be told in two seconds that ChatGPT can tell something in. You actually have to think things through. Unfortunately, unlike Oracle, there are many, many moving parts to Apple, including we haven't heard anything made and nasty out of China. Plus, we have a consumer price index number comes out at 8.30 a.m. tomorrow. If it's hot, if you start hearing chatter about inflation going back to 4%, well above the Fed's target, then we're going to restart that guessing game of higher rates that had gloriously stopped after the Fed's trip to Jackson Hole. Too many moving parts with Apple. Perhaps your biggest takeaway is a simple one. Bottom line, if you want to take cancel of your fears and sell Oracle or Apple, I get it. But today, if you sold those two stocks, you took counsel of someone else's fears. Your money, their fears, seems wrong to me. Let's take some calls. Let's go to Tony in Florida. Tony. Hey, Jim, I just want to give you a big booyah from uh, a very happy club member. And, oh, fantastic. Uh, I have a little pickle here. Um, I bought this stock because um, it was splitting up, and I, I thought it was going to do good, but there's no momentum. It keeps on going down, down, and down. I don't know if I should just take the loss and buy something better. It's Kellogg's. I'm a Tony Tiger fan. I was hoping that um, they would do a lot better than they're doing now. Well, Tony, look, let's let's not let's not prejudge because it's just you know, this plan's just being put into action. It's got a four percent yield. I think that the company presented that plan on our show, and I think there's a lot to recommend. It's not a red hot stock, but it's going to the the two pieces are worth a lot more than the stock is selling for. I'm going to urge you to hold it, and thank you for remember the club. Let's go to Chris in West Virginia. Chris, hey Jim Booyah from Wild Wonderful West Virginia. It's beautiful there. I agree. Mountaineers, what's up? Well, I have a quick question for you. So I have a position in a company that um, used to be involved in, well, I hate to say it, but the the death industry. They've converted, actually, they've actually converted to more kind of more of an industrial play. They're down about $10 from their 52-week high. They just made a pretty significant acquisition. I'm trying to figure out if I should buy more at this level. The company is Hill and Brain, uh, ticker symbol. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to let, let me just tell you how I feel about this one. I think these changes were so swift and so, uh, frankly, did, people didn't see it coming that I got to do more work on it because I saw it. I said, what are they doing? What, what is the plan? I, too, am confused. We get together, we work on it, and I'll have an answer for you next week. Absolutely. Like, sometimes when the stock deal gets taken down, you got to really dig a little deeper than what the headlines are saying. you got to be also a little bit clinical, too. Never pays to sell based on somebody, somebody else's fears. That's what I saw today on Mad Money Tonight. Lyft announced a new initiative that will match women and non-binary riders with drivers of the same or similar background. I'm learning more about how this is shaking up the ride-sharing space with the company's CEO. Then when we came to San Francisco, you think tech. What about utilities? I'm talking to the turnaround artist behind PG&E to see what the future could hold. And every year we head out to Salesforce's annual Dreamforce conference. I'm sitting down with Mark Benioff himself from the center of the action. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on Twitter. Have a question? 
Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? With almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise dedicated to shaping brighter futures for our students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S. An outproven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Sometimes all it takes to turn the company around is new leadership, new set of priorities, fresh pair of eyes. Take Lyft, the number two ride-sharing company. Nine months ago, these guys were being eaten a lot by Uber. So they struggled to pivot to profitability. So they brought in a seasoned tech executive, David Risher, to take over as CEO. Almost immediately, he laid off 26% of the workforce because that's what a real pivot to profitability sadly, has to look like. Then his first quarter CEO in May offered much worse than expected guidance for the second quarter, sending this stock down nearly 20% in a single day. Within weeks, Lyft stock sank to seven bucks and change, but that's where it bottomed. When the company reported again in August, the results were much better than expected, especially on the earnings front. And this time they gave confident guidance for the next quarter. It doesn't hurt that many insiders have been buying stock in the open market. That is always a good sign. No wonder it's back up to 11 and change. Today, Lyft rolled out a new safety feature that I thought should have been given much more attention. Much more attention should be paid to this. It's a feature that allows women and non-binary riders or drivers to request to be paired with drivers or riders who aren't men. So let's check in with David Risher, the new CEO of Lyft, to get a better read on this turnaround story and this new initiative. Mr. Risher, welcome back to Man Money. Damn, it is great to see you again. Thank you, David. You know, David, there's so many different stories that break. I mean, there's this Apple News story. We had uh, Oracle not doing well. A lot of stuff about investment bank IPOs. I saw your news item, and I just said, I got to get David on, because I think this is really the stuff of what many dreams are made of, sadly, or yes. I need you to give you the floor. Explain how it's going to work. <laughs> I, I love your enthusiasm. I feel the same Thank way. You. Look, Thank on you. my first day, I've only been CEO for four months now, right? And you said some of the things I've done. But I think the thing I am the proudest of is on the first day after I got my, my new laptop and so forth, I called the team together and I said, you know what? Let's create a feature where women drivers can choose to be matched with women drive riders and vice versa, because it just makes for a more comfortable experience. Only 23% of our drivers are women right now, and yet so many people want that independence on ways to earn. And then our, our riders say, it'll, it'll make me feel more comfortable. So super excited about it. It's the way we're obsessing over our customers. Well, of course, we all are anecdotal. We all ever ask our friends and our spouses and partners what we think, and I can't get the same answer. Every woman I ask, said, yes, I want to have it. But then they, the immediate caveat was, if there are only 23% of the women are drivers, how will they make it so I can get a woman? Will it be a long wait? What's, what's going to happen? 
Yeah. So that's why we're starting in five cities. So we're starting in Chicago, San Jose, San Diego, San Francisco, and Phoenix. And those are areas where behind the scenes, we've been doing more driver recruiting to really tell the story uh, to women. And what our hope is, is as this starts to really take root, as women riders take it, and feel that camaraderie that so many women riders have said, as you said, I'm looking for this. And then the drivers start to feel more comfortable. And they start to say, I know I can now express a preference for women riders. That that starts to feed on itself and get bigger and bigger and bigger. We hope to go nationwide with it soon. Well, it also could be feeding on itself in the sense that more women riders who are requesting more women drivers who go to Lyft, don't you think? That's, I really do. I really do. I mean, look, I think this gives people a, women to choose, a reason to choose Lyft. And by the way, not just women. I think everybody wants to be associated with a company that's doing the right thing. And I, this is a very values-forward thing for us to do is say, you know what? 50% of the population are women. We want to make sure that every single one of them can drive if they want to and can feel comfortable as a rider. Well, there are many things that you've brought to the equation for Lyft already, which is that you, you understood, for instance, that there are going to be more commuting. Uh, most people did thought commuting was, a, was, was done, was moribund, but not you. And it's, going in, it's playing to your hand. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Look, I'm a big believer that people do their best, most interesting work and have their most fun when they're together. And, you know, we've asked people, I say asked, it's actually not an ask, to come back to the office three days a week. A lot of other people are doing the same thing. So we're seeing commute up 19 percent year on year. And that's only going to accelerate as I think more people start to realize it's a better way to get to the office. Don't waste time, you know, driving yourself for an hour. Let somebody else do the hard work and you can be on TikTok or being productive, whatever you want. I couldn't agree more. Now, one of the things people ask me, well, someone just bought $10,000 worth of stock or someone just bought 5,000 shares. Uh, You have bought $1.15 million of stock. Another director has bought a million dollars. I always tell people that you don't buy with the idea that you can flip because you have to wait six months anyway to even trade. But you do it for an investment. You sell for a million different reasons. Your guys are making a real commitment here. I mean, obviously, you must like what you see or else you would just say, listen, I'll wait and see and then I'll buy more and not make the conclusion is willing to put your money down right now in the open market. Yeah, no, there's no reason to wait. And, and I say that very sincerely. Like this is a look, how many companies are, are occupying a space of deep, real need, right? People, millions of people rely on transportation to get where they want to go every single day. There are only two players in this market. That's crazy. You would expect food, clothing, shelter, other basic needs. You got hundreds of, there are two players in this market and we are executing better every single day because we're so focused on our customers. And the last thing I'll say is I have the huge pleasure of being able to look around the room at the team that's, that's on this business. These are A players and I've worked with some seriously good people. So A player, um, execute, you know, A players, great execution and a huge market that's only got two players in it. I feel super lucky that I was able to make the investment when I when I did. Right. So we're seeing ridership up. We've got a driver sentiment survey that indicates that things are really good. When do we see hopefully profits? <laughs> I would so like to be able to answer that question publicly, but my lawyers would come in and literally put a gag on me and just throw me in jail right that second. Yeah. Well, how, how about we look at it like this? You've been involved in business for many years. And you also, I should point out, did more, you probably spent as much time in charity and doing incredible things around the world. When does this become less of a charitable and more of a profitable endeavor? How about that? <laughs> I mean, every single day, every single day. And what I mean by that is, look, my objective, and I tell this to the company every time I talk to them, my objective personally now, what I want the board to hold me accountable to is to build a financially healthy 
customer-obsessed organization. And every day we make it more financially healthy, and every day we make it more customer-obsessed. That's the goal. And you know, when it's going to happen, that uh, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. But but we're on it, the path. It, uh, how about this? It happens to the companies that execute in that game plan. Thank you very I much, David, for CEO of. Great, great to have you back on the show and great initiative. I'm not kidding. This should have been talked about all day and it will be. Okay. Thank you for I being on the show. Yep. Thank you, Jim. Great to see you again. Absolutely. You take care. Download, you. download Lyft. Take a ride. <laughs> Coming up, is slow and steady the pace to be? Keep a light on for Kramer. He's back with a major West Coast utility. Next. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. While we're out here in California, let's check in with one of our favorite turnaround plays, PG&E, the Oakland-based gas and electric utility that's emerged from its wildfire-induced bankruptcy with a much better management team and a better balance sheet. And good management is important. There's a reason PG&E stock is up more than 4% year-to-date, while the utility sector is down roughly 10%. This is a company that reported a couple of unremarkable quarters in a row. Although for PG&E, unremarkable is a good thing. It means they're still on track with their financial commitments. I think the stock can continue to gradually grind its way higher, especially if the company can get approval to reinstate its dividend either later this year or early next year. It's the cheapest published utility stock because it currently does not pay a dividend. Earlier today, we got a chance to speak with Patty Poppy. She's the turnaround artist CEO of PG&E. Take a look. Not if I say this, but I am with the most dynamic utility executive in a situation that could be unbelievably lucrative for people who recognize that what Patty Poppy is doing is reinventing the entire industry, and it's going to be great for PG&E shareholders. But you are in a tough spot every single minute, aren't you? You know, Jim, I'm very honored to be the CEO of PG&E. We're doing great work. We're making our system safer every day. And uh, I'm, I know we're going to deliver for investors because we're delivering for our customers. Now, when you do that, a lot of people feel like, well, wait a second. You've had fire trust. You had, had all this overhang. You have no dividend. You're fixing all of that, too. The financials are really coming together. And it could be as recently as next quarter that you could be 
going back and having a dividend. Yeah, we're definitely, we've got a, several key catalysts between now and year end. One, we expect our general rate case, which is really this year's revenue and three-year forward revenue. I don't know what kind of company wouldn't love to know their revenue for the next three years, but that'll allow us to build a plan to win for customers, as well as then our dividend reinstatement, as well as the final sellout from the Fire Victims Trust, and the S&P 500 is going to be rebalancing that recognizes the FET's exit from the stock. So uh, that's, those are all positive catalysts between now and year end. Now, in the meantime, your company has to spend fortunes making sure that your area is safe. And it's really always not clear how to spend the money. For instance, you, uh, I think, actually gracefully realized that the tree trimming, 2.5 billion tree trimming, was not wasn't that it was bad because it did cut. Ignitions, but not the most efficient use. There are other more efficient uses of capital to be able to cut back on the 385,000 potentially hazardous trees? Yeah. Listen, we have 8 million trees within strike distance of our lines. And it's a a science, but there's some art to determining which trees will fail, which trees won't. We knew that technology had to be a piece of the story. And, you know, you're here in California today. We're so happy to have you. This is the heartbeat of innovation. We have innovated and invested in technology on our lines to de-energize them within a tenth of a second when something makes contact in our high-fire threat areas. We've reduced ignitions. We've reduced ignitions by over 60% last year. We've reduced them an additional 30% this year. That's a 50% reduction over the three-year average. And last year, 99% reduction in acres burned as a result of our lines. We are definitely making the system safer. It's getting safer every day, and it'll be safer tomorrow still. Yeah, I saw that number, and I said it's not fair to you. That's that's good, but when you realize the all the different weather occurrences, it's spectacular. Yes, yes. It's much worse now than it was then. Well, I think it's a great opportunity, actually, for utility investors to realize that we're going to be rebuilding this infrastructure. Yes. We have to rebuild it so that it is climate resilient. We're both going to help reduce the pace of climate change, but we have to have adapted uh, infrastructure. And so undergrounding, our big 10,000-mile yeah. undergrounding program Talk about is that. critical to both making it safe and reliable because the weather conditions do change. We have to have infrastructure that's resilient to well, those changes. You're also very forward-looking EVs, that maybe we can have a situation where the EVs on the road also power the grid. You said it could be five Diablo Canyons. That's 9,000 mega. That's gigantic. It could be an incredible addition, carbon-free energy that is dynamic. EVs are the best thing that have ever happened to the grid. They both require new load, but they can also provide supply. They're little mini power plants right where the people are that will prevent us from building more infrastructure, particularly more fossil fuel-powered infrastructure. EVs can be power on a peak hour and then help us reduce. And just think about this for a minute, Jim. The household expense for energy today can go down when you switch from gasoline to electricity. So when a household switches from an, from an internal combustion engine to an EV, their household expense for energy in total goes down. So we can decarbonize the economy at a lower societal cost. Well, now, when you talk to Elon Musk, is that something you just that he is excited about as you are? Oh, he's as excited as we are. He came to our innovation wow. summit we held a couple weeks ago. Innovation is the heartbeat here in Silicon Valley. We made sure that we uh, included him, and he did a great job talking about the expectations for load growth, which for us means investment in infrastructure, and it means reduced unit costs of energy for customers. So it's a win for investors, win for customers. 70,000 square miles is the most dynamic area in the country. What can be the growth? Because I think some people want a high dividend. I want 
growth with dividend. Is that a growth area, your 70,000 square? Well, we have the highest growth rate of any utility. We, yeah. because the infrastructure demand is so great, and as you know, utilities earn on their capital investments. So our capital investment in our infrastructure creates the highest growth rate in the sector. And as you said, we're looking forward to reinstating our dividends. So I say a little bit of both. Well, look, I've got to tell you, I think it, it is an exciting situation because we're going to be talking about being a growth utility and not just talking about being a fire hazard the next time I see you. Oh, that's a fact. That is going to be a story of our past, and we're focused on the future, Jim oh, Cramer. That's what, exactly what you should be. You're doing an amazing job. Patty Pop is the CEO of PG&E. Man Money's back here to the break. Patty, thank you so much. Thanks, Jim. Coming up, party like your dreams have come true? Salesforce's biggest event of the year kicked off today. Mark Benioff joins Kramer next. Every year we travel across the country for Dreamforce, the annual conference held by longtime Kramer fave Salesforce, because it's a great place to learn about tech, especially this year, when the overarching theme of the event is artificial intelligence. Earlier today, Salesforce made a bunch of big AI announcements, including the latest generation of their AI platform, Einstein, and the fact that they're working with Alphabet to bring their AI-powered customer relations management capabilities to Google Workspace. There's also a big charity component to this conference, as there always is, doesn't get enough attention. Let's take a closer look right now with Mark Benioff. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Salesforce, and our host for the week to learn more about what's going on out here. Mr. Benioff, welcome back to Made Money. Jim, always had great to have you in San Francisco, and we have a gorgeous day, huh? Uh, you give, you give us place. everything. When we do dream for we do everything. Place. All right, why do I want, put it to you, why do I want Salesforce's Einstein to be my co-pilot? Oh, Jim, you know, this is probably the greatest technology advancement of our lifetime. Actually, it's probably the greatest technology advancement of any lifetime. Of any lifetime. All right, back and this up. Back this it up. Really, up. Well, look, if you're going massive improvements in levels of productivity, and I'll just tell you, like, my own organization, in engineering, I've like unleashed all this productivity that I what didn't have before just by using new AI tools and in sales and in service and in marketing and in all my customer capabilities. I'm going to achieve so much more because I'm able to use AI. We're, we're experiencing a lot of this ourselves at home, right? Aren't you using these AI tools right. to write letters yeah, or but, to but serve the, research or but that's find the, insights? But that won't make you big money. Big money would be you telling companies how to be able to take their data and getting the right information from the data. Well, the most powerful thing is what we are able to do now is to bring the AI together with CRM, with your customer data. And when you bring your customer data together with the AI, it means that the AI is learning from your customer data. But Generally. Unlike all these other AI tools that are like trying to learn from you and take your data from you, and you know how these things work, Jim. You're at home working on that stuff, but it's just sucking your data down and, or it's taking all your company's data. We provide a whole trust layer so that your data never leaves your company, and yet you still get all the benefits of this amazing AI. This is a I'm you mentioned that threshold What I've been thinking is, is that I wouldn't want to give you my data if you were just mixing it up with everybody else's data, because then it would be a commodity. I wouldn't pay Salesforce for a commodity, and I don't want anyone to know my business. Well, your data is not our product at Salesforce, Jim. And I think that's not true for a lot of the companies oh, that you cover. Is. A lot of people tell me, it's, don't worry about it. We're <laughs> fine. But let me ask you something. We have, we, you know that we've talked about Einstein dozens and dozens of times over the last decade. 
And Einstein will do a trillion transactions for our customers this week in AI, but we never look at the customer's data. Okay, so people have been asking me, ask Mark, what does he say when he does the trillions? Like, it, who, who knows what to ask Einstein? What, 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 you know, how do you know what to ask Einstein in order to get the right answers? Einstein right now has been doing predictions. Hey, this person bought this product, you should ask them about that product. Hey, this, this person is on your commerce site, they're pre getting presented with this amazing new product, I'm going to show them this product. Or, oh, you're dealing with a service issue, I'm going to show you a better solution. In the new world, Einstein is generating ideas and giving you much more comprehensive answers using this generative AI. It's another level of Einstein. Okay, so I'm Laura Albert, I run Williams-Sonoma, I do an amazing job. I've been doing a great job. I know that people want to buy my cappuccino maker. Einstein will tell me what that person might else want besides the cappuccino maker? First, it's going to help you find that person. Then it's going to help you sell that person. Then it's going to help you service that person. Then it's going to help you to market the next product of that person. That is the real power of AI, another level of productivity. That is, look, at one level, everyone wants to be an Einstein at the show, you know, we all want to be smarter. Sure. At another level, we want to have productivity like we've never had before. That's the real promise of what's about to happen. Okay, so let's talk about this, you internally doing it. As you say in your documents, 45% of executives are increasing AI investments, early adopters reaping the benefits, freeing over 30% of employee time to drive revenue growth, cost cuts, deliver high quality and customer experience interactions. So you're telling me that you actually put the stopwatch to your own outfit and saw that this is the kind of results you got? Our results internally have been phenomenal. It's one of the reasons we just put up one of the best quarters we've ever had. It's an amazing quarter. It was a great quarter, wasn't it, was. it Jim? Stock you should saw a 2027 that goes to 218. Who was selling it then? Well, the margins were great. It was like rule of 40 even. Well, Jim, I think you know that we had our margins were over 31% and we still had very solid growth across the board and all the products did very well. But this was really even before we've been able to turn over all this amazing AI technology to our customers. When they can get their hands on this technology, I want our customers to have the quarter that we just had. Got it. Now, when I ask people about what should I ask Mark, because everyone says, well, you know what? It was a great quarter, great quarter, great quarter. You got to ask him about Slack. It can't be that good. Microsoft's killing him. There's no way Slack's really growing. He doesn't break it out. But what do you say to these people who say that Microsoft killed Slack and you spent too much money on it? I'm very excited about Slack. But when you say and to these people, they don't know what they're talking about? What I would say to them is there's never been an exciting moment for Slack, and you can see it here at the show. One, we just delivered the whole new redesign of the product. Two, we have a whole new level of infrastructure for the product called Lists. What that means is that Slack, for the first time, is not just a system of engagement, but also is a system of record. Okay. So it itself can start managing uh, data. And the third thing is that Slack is now a front end to Salesforce, finally. So you can use Salesforce to front end your CRM system. But that's not the big news. The okay. big news is Slack is really starting to wake up with its own AI. It holds so much data for our customers. I think Slack is going to be the promise of AI for a lot of our most important customers. Okay, that's the most bullish you've been. I mean, you've been, not that you've been circumspect. Well, I'll tell you one of the reasons why. If you go talk to any of these great new AI companies, and I hope you're going to have them on your sure. show this week, like Anthropic or Cohere or even OpenAI, they are all Slack-first companies. They all built their product with Slack. But Matt, Every but Sam single, Altman has got a big uh, Microsoft. Well, he doesn't use Microsoft product. Matt, come on. Jim. You're he uses Slack. No, I'm not. He will open your, his laptop and show you. He runs OpenAI on Slack, and you right. should run 
your business Sajid on Slack came, too. Actually, right. I think you do run your business on Slack. We run, yes, uh, we run, a, yes, I know. That best, the best businesses do run on Slack, but all the AI companies, you know, there's a huge AI revolution here in San Francisco. We're the number one AI city in the world. The commercial real estate's evaporating before our eyes. And this incredible thing is going on. As I talk to every single CEO, they are all Slack first. It's awesome. Okay. That's good to know. Because I'd love to see a breakout of that one day. But well, now one one like thing that we're doing is we have this amazing new venture fund, which is a $500 million venture fund, okay. just targeting AI companies, but also looking for companies who want to actually take what they're building on Salesforce and bring it to market using our new Einstein, A1, A, Einstein One platform. That's what we're deploying here at the show. So I'm meeting these CEOs all the time because they're raising money, they're growing. And then I'll say, well, show me, how are you running your business? They're all using You're Slack. Slack, okay. All right, a little empirical uh, would be better. I like Try that. it Anecdote. out yourself, by Anecdote. the way. Use right. your own independent research. Right, let, me, let me ask you this. I, I, we had Frank Subin on yesterday. You introduced me to him, Snowflake. He said, look, the big issue is- One is of the great, great investment from Salesforce Ventures. That's true. That's true. He, he says, look, it's a little prosaic. It's a little more boring. The best uses of AI are, say, from an auto insurance company trying to figure out a, a basis point better rate uh, from a uh, auto finance company trying to figure out what exactly should be the rate should be charged he goes you keep telling people that it's kind of the business to consumer the real money is in those kinds of boring things do you agree with that well I think that's where the technology was it was really in that area where it was more about predictive or enhancement now I think with generative with autonomous and with agents we're going to move quickly behind, beyond that. It's really going to be moved rapidly into productivity. So the AI is moving for you. You know, Jim, I'm wearing these shoes from a company that you love, which is um, Caring Group, Gucci. Yeah. And these Gucci shoes that I wore, they were designed out of their Cloud9 center in Italy. You met the head of that yes, center in New York. And remember what he said? He said that we had augmented his, assist, his agents and made them better. That's the promise okay. of AI, productivity. But, and but that again, if you're a bank, if you're extended. a bank, you have to do all these reiterative things endlessly. You don't have to do those. And it's seemingly there should be a great return on investment from the Bank of America. This is going to be right? an unbelievable return of investment for every company. For every Because you're basically unleashing trap productivity. You're augmenting FedEx. existing employees' capabilities. Every customer is going to have this. We've already been working with FedEx with uh, AI. Right. And, and, and they're going to have incredible opportunity to sell and market, especially to their customers' service, especially in new ways. All right. Now, look, you, did, you didn't give me the weather, but you did give me one, a city that looks much better than I think a lot of people feel, okay? The well, press, I noticed you walked here from your office, which was awesome. I'm not, look, I'm, I lived in my car for, for a year out here, so I can do whatever I want. How did San Francisco look to you? The, I don't know. It looked pretty good. But maybe it's artificial. Maybe it's Potemkin Village. Maybe you cleaned every street yourself. Well, I was cleaning some streets myself, but, but I will say but one you thing. Did, you did that, say, will you commit? You know, big will cities. You commit that, right now? I was in New York too. Commit right now. No, no, we, you gave an interview a week ago to the Chronicle, which said that basically your family is from here. Everybody's from here. I'm you, a fourth generation. Yes. So will you commit to doing it, Dreamforce, next year, right here? I want to make sure it goes well. I want to make sure it's safe. And I want to talk to my customers, okay, you, which is what everyone should be doing. And then if everyone says go, then it's a oh, go. So you, you can't, you don't run the company, others run it? I do, and that's how I run the company, based on my customer well, feedback. Okay, look, if you want my feedback as a longtime customer before I, I let, sold my company, I would say stay here, all right? 
Mark Benioff. That's good feedback. Mark Benioff, co-founder, chair in San Francisco. Thank you so much for having us at Dreamforce. Love being with you. Coming up, the fog is rolling out. It's a Bay Area Booyah lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Three minutes, Mark. One of the same things. Bob, Bob, you're playing this. You're playing this now. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Deck? Time for the lightning round. What's up with Gary in Nevada? Gary. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. Uh, I'm calling regarding the potential sale later this month of Magellan Midstream Partners to One Oak. I already have a position in MMP and like to buy more. So I'm wondering if I should wait to see if the sale goes through. Oh, it's going to go through. It's definitely going to go through. And And I like One Oak very, very much. It's a great deal. Uh, you get the special distribution, too. Congratulations, all I can say. It was really good, well played by you. Mark in California. Mark. Captain Jimmy Chill, welcome to Northern California. Thank you for having me. What's going on? Here is a north of the Golden Gate, Marin County, hippie, dippy, ba 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 booyah, Kramer. Extraordinary performance by you, sir. Good to be on the show. How can I help? Passing of everyone's favorite Caribbean cowboy, Jimmy Buffett. I'm calling today about a speculative biotech stock with a lyrical name that may strike a chord with some of our home gamers. Do you think an investment in Cataletta Bio, C-A-B-A, would set us up for a lovely cruise to profit? If I love this guy. It's like Dave from Illinois. Imagine, like, Gene and Dave must be talking. Look, it's a Philadelphia company. It's highly speculative. You got it right. Uh, I see price targets that are so high for it. I'm not going to do that. It's just highly speculative, and I do wish you the best, and you were very blitless for that. Let's go to Buzz in California. Buzz. Hey, Booyah, Jim. Just want to give a quick shout-out to my boys, Raw Dog and Ozzy. But, Jim... It's feeling like we're getting rototilled out here owning Edwards Life Science. What do you think? Man, the rototilling the chest cavity there with that thing. Yeah, I got to tell you, I'm like shocked. They got to come on. What can I say? I mean, this used to be one of the greatest stocks of our time, and it's now just terrible. And I don't know what to say. They got to come on. Let's go to Richard in Florida. Richard! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. What's going on? What's happening? Well, uh, I love stocks that pay dividends and can grow their stock price. Uh, which is called to see if I could add international flavors and fragrances to my dividend portfolio. It says, but do you know Edwards? You know, I, look, I, used, I like companies. <laughs> this is the same thing as Edwards. I used to love this company. I have no idea what's happened, why it's just completely falling apart. They got management in there, doesn't even know what it's doing, yields 4.76. This is one of the greatest well run companies. When you come on the show, Edwards and IFF will make it, uh, make it a twofer. Both of you guys, come on. Well, like, you know, do look for the exchange. This is ridiculous. Come out and say something. How about Michael in New York? Michael. Hey, Jim, how you doing? It's Mike from right. Long Island, New York. Oh, yeah. I've been, yeah, uh, I saw you this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> my, we've been listening to you uh, since my kids are little. Now they're adults, and we all still listen and watching. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I actually have owned Walgreens stock for a long time. And I just feel like the company's in turmoil and there's a lot going on. So I'm thinking of selling and buying CVS, actually. So I wanted to see what you thought of that, CVS. You know, Karen Lynch is going to turn this thing around. I mean, CVS is now yielding three and a half. It's going to earn $8, maybe a little more than that. It sells for 70 I, I, I think you're right. Uh, I think right now you're right. I think that this thing between the price of, say, 60 and 70 is going to bottom. 
It's got all the problems that we know of every company that has a theft issue. That's what's really hurting it now, not its health care issues. Let's go to Hogan in Colorado, please. Hogan. Hey, Jim Kramer. How are you? I'm okay. How are you, Hogan? Good, good. Hey, thank you and your staff for all the insight you provide us, eh? Yeah, they make me look good every day. Holy yeah. cow. What's up? Tell you what, after the uh, the announcement of uh, acquiring some of these Dominion uh, properties, Enbridge is as low as it's been in two and a half years. Should I back up the truck and buy a bunch more? Hogan, I can't ever say that because it's such a bad market, but I will tell you that they, they got the best. Those properties they got from Dominion were absolutely fantastic. It yields 7.7. I know people feel they paid a lot. I don't think they did. I think Greg Ebel did, a, did the right thing, and I think you should buy the stock of Enbridge. I'll give you that. Let's go to Will in Kentucky. Will. Hey, Jim, this is Will from Lexington, Kentucky. First time in a long time. Um, hey, I just want to get your thoughts on Honeywell. Something happened today. Honeywell spoke at the Laguna Conference. Morgan Stanley, they told a good story, but a lot of people that I got the vibe from say that they're willing to think more about bringing out value, which maybe means even breaking up the company. Charitable Trust owns it. I'm just thrilled the stock went up at all. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. Coming up. As good as Goldman? What David Solomon and an offensive lineman have in common. Next. The capital markets are coming alive. And I think this was just day one of a furious move higher for the moribund investment banks and a decent leg up for all the financials. In fact, I've been telling members of the CMC Investing Club that we seem to be on the verge of a banking boom. Just consider this current roster of activity. First, we have gotten more than a dozen gigantic bond deals this week, and those are just easy money for bankers. Nice fees. Second, we've had several noteworthy takeovers. Smuggers is buying Hostess, the maker of Twinkies, for $5.6 billion. We covered that last night. Today, we learned that Westrock and Smurf at Kappa, two gigantic container board companies, are merging in an $11 billion transaction. Remember, the investment banks make fortunes advising on these M&A deals, and it doesn't take a lot of employees to do it. Third and most important, we're about to see the first really important IPO in years, Arm Holdings, which is an incredibly dynamic semiconductor design company that NVIDIA tried to buy for $40 billion a few years ago before it ultimately got blocked by the regulators. It's worth a lot more than that now. I think the Arm IPO will be very strong, and if you can get a piece of the deal, you should do so. Of course, that doesn't necessarily mean you should buy this stock at the opening, because I expect this one to come in very hot, and the market mechanics break down whenever there's a big demand for an IPO. Nothing's truly changed since we brought the Street.com public in 1999, a story I tell in great detail in Confessions of a Street Addict, because it's embarrassing. Uh, Goldman Sachs, our banker, assured me that the IPO would price around 19 bucks, with the stock only opening in the low 20s, where they sold lots of supply coming in. Of course, the reality is Street.com stock opened at 61. The underwriters didn't have an idea of what they were talking about. So how am I supposed to know where ARM's going to start trading? Stock traded, by the way, at the street, down a straight line at two, not long after. I don't see that happening here with ARM. I'll tell you this. If you like the look of the ARM deal, maybe you buy some Goldman Sachs instead or J.P. Morgan. They both stand to make a lot of money from this one. They'll be huge beneficiaries from what I see as the reopening of the IPO spigot after a lost year and a half of underwritings. Hey, let me throw in another one, Morgan Stanley, which has got a growth stock with a 4% yield, for heaven's sake. Now, last week, my pal David Faber interviewed David Solomon, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, where I used to work. And Solomon defended himself on a series of very serious issues involving both style and substance. I don't really care about the style stuff. But when it comes to substance, I thought Solomon told a great story about Goldman's business. We already own Morgan Stanley and Wells Fargo for the trust. I don't want to buy a third financial right now, purely in the interest of diversification, but Goldman's looking real good here. 
When I sit back and look at the bond deals, the mergers, and the IPO market that somehow came back from the dead, and I cross that with the lack of serious credit risk, because corporate and consumer balance sheets are in great shape, I think investment banks could be among the lowest risk and highest reward industries out there right now. It seems like a real long year when you think about where these stocks are coming from. They've been crushed by regulatory concerns ever since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic this spring. I almost can't believe this mini banking crisis occurred this year. But now we've seen the fangs of the regulators, and they aren't that sharp. We've seen the cutbacks in staff and the possibility of huge savings from generative artificial intelligence. I actually think the banks, with their need to be precise about risk, while importantly trying to keep costs down, may be some of the biggest winners from AI. Practical biggest winners. Best of all, unlike virtually all of tech, you aren't coming in at the highs with the investment banks. In fact, it's the opposite. What a delight to be recommending something that's prosaic and solid. Kind of like buying a boring interior lineman stock, even if you have to cashier a big-name quarterback stock to do so. Not as much upside, but a lot less risk and a lot less pain. I'll take it. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise on just for you right here Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Disclaimer. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.